0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to those who are watching us online and, of course, the people downstairs, too. I have to give them a little rest from my little dig, you know, what I, the label that you guys already know that, right? <clears throat> Anyways, wonderful to be together, isn't it? Um, we're in the book of Acts. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 9, while you're turning there, let me just remind you of what we were talking about last week as we started into this chapter The whole of this book, at least up to this point where we're at, um, is a record of the fulfillment of what the Lord told his disciples back there in chapter 1, verse 8. Remember that, where he told them, I want you to go into uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, and I want you to be a witness of me to those places. We've been watching that happen as we've been studying this out, and here in in, in, uh, chapter 9, We have, uh, in the first few 19 verses, I guess, we have looked at Saul, this persecutor of the church, this guy who was anti uh, the way. Remember the way being described as that belief in Jesus Christ as the Savior. And uh, he was a believer in God. He was a devout person, according to what he says in Philippians about himself and how he was raised and that kind of a thing, but totally off base, right? Didn't understand until as we saw, he was on that road to Damascus, and all of a sudden, the Lord appears to him and actually claims who he is. Who are you, who are you Lord? I'm Jesus. And there's that moment of, oh, <laughs> I didn't realize this, right? And uh, we read how he then um, was blind as a result of that, and how a guy named Ananias showed up and put his hands on him. And gave him back his sight as a miracle from the Lord. And um, either he got saved at that road or at that moment there with Ananias. But now we have a believer. And we talked about two, th- these two individuals as, um, one, an expression of seeing the Lord and being transformed for salvation. Right? A change has occurred. And the other guy, Ananias, seeing the Lord and being willing, but then not willing because of what he was being asked to do. And then the Lord had to encourage him, and, and, and he goes forward with strength, and, and he does that. <clears throat> and so we pick this up then uh, in verse 19. And so if you're in this passage with me, let's, let's look at this together. I want to read a couple, three verses or so with you, and then um, talk about a, a, a statement or a couple statements here. He says in verse 19, picking this up, it says, So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So there was enough of, a, of an understanding with those believers there in Damascus that this guy has, has um, uh, become a believer. He's become one of us. And so there's this interaction together. That, that's a little bit different than what we're going to see in Jerusalem in just a few verses. So just keep that in mind as we go. But he, he's, he's there together with them. And then it tells us in verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. Now this is an astounding statement. And I don't want you to miss it, but I want to I go through the whole of it. So, so just keep that in mind. <clears throat> it says he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is not this he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? Has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. <clears throat> but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. So there's that phrase that <clears throat> I, I highlighted, that he is the Christ, Right? and that he's the son of God, and now we see it that proving that Jesus is the Christ. So the idea that, that Luke is trying to help us to understand is that when Saul became a believer, he had grown up in a, in a, a Jewish home, a, a home that, uh, as an Old Testament um, person, if you want to call it that, <clears throat> believing Moses, believing the teachings of Moses, believing the teachings of the prophets, understanding all of that, Saul had also, according to what we understand from Scripture, been been, uh, schooled in the school of Gamaliel, uh, a profound teacher of his day, someone to be discipled by. So this guy, Saul, knew some things. And as then he met the Lord and those began to link up in his own mind, he understood more clearly, oh, the Christ, who he is... And what he does and what goes on with him, I'm beginning to put that together as I understand the Old Testament and now have a new understanding, too, where that links up, right? Like, he's beginning to to see this, and so because of that, he's getting up in the the synagogue. That's where the the Jews would meet together, kind of like for church, if you want to call it that. And he began to to communicate, hey, he is the Christ— And this is what is true about him. He is the Son of God. And not only that, I'm telling you that Jesus is that one. I've actually met him on the road. I don't know if he told him that or not. They probably would have looked at him like, I don't know about you, Saul, right? But notice it says here that he's proving that Jesus is the Christ. Have you ever thought how he did that? Have you ever considered, like, what was the mechanism that he was doing that? Well, I would submit to you that he's doing it completely from the Old Testament that there was no New Testament at this point in time. Saul, who later becomes Paul, right? Like, he actually isn't writing his epistles at this time. He's just a brand new believer. Luke, he's writing this, but he hasn't, this is after the fact. No gospels have been written. The book of James hasn't been written. Nothing is out there. So how is he proving this? He's going back to the Old Testament, and he's saying, here's what the Word of God says. And so it fits now with what we know about Jesus. He's proving that. And for some, that was having tremendous impact on, and others no way. And we're going to find out these guys want to kill him eventually, too. Now think about this. Where does he go? Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says there, this is the story of uh, creation, and then we have Adam and Eve, right? Are you familiar with this? And so Adam and Eve then sin, and they get kicked out of the garden, and right after that, then this verse comes into play, and it tells us in Genesis chapter 3, three, fifteen, 15, that a Redeemer is going to come, the promised one, that God is going to send as, as, as uh, an answer to this problem of sin. And it says in that verse, it says that he will crush the serpent's head. You remember this? You can look it up if you want to a little, a little later. It says that he will crush the serpent's head, and in crushing, he will bruise his heel. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but there's a little subtlety right there. That means that the Redeemer in the crushing is going to also be bruised. There's some suffering that's going to go on as a result of that. I tell you that because, by and large, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, did not know that. I'm not saying they didn't know that verse. I'm saying they didn't put it together. They didn't see a suffering servant. They didn't see one who would die for them. I think I put in your notes, uh, hopefully, uh, Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 53, 12. I'm not going to take the time to go in there, but if you recall... Do you remember just a little while ago we read about um, Philip and he was on the road and there was this Ethiopian? Do you remember that story just just a little bit back here in Acts, right? And and the Ethiopian is reading and guess where he's reading, right here, in Isaiah. In fact, he's in Isaiah 53. I think it's seven verses seven and eight. And he's reading that, and he's going, do you understand, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, who can know this? Is he talking about himself? or something? Like, who can know this? Well, come on up here and explain this to me. Why? Because we find in that scripture references to Christ. And if you read through there, you'll find suffering, death involved in all of that. This was something that, that for, for whatever reason, the Jewish nation, they saw him as this conquering Messiah, not as a suffering Messiah, and it, and it tripped them up. It caused problems for them. You might remember that in Luke, when he records in chapter 24, that there's these two guys and they're walking on this road headed towards Emmaus. And all of a sudden the Lord joins them. Do you remember that story? And as he's talking with them and he says, what's going on here, boys? And they're like, where have you been? Under a rock or what? Like, do you not know what our rulers have done? And we've killed them. And now, and then these women of ours, they went to the tomb and they said, hey, he's alive. And we're like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. Where have you been? Don't you know these things? And do you remember what the Lord did? He says, oh, you foolish. You foolish guys. Do you not know that the Christ had to come and suffer? And then it says, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained all the scriptures that had to do with him. That's my translation, but you can read it. You'll get it, right? That's what he did. He walked them through. That had to be unbelievable, mind-blowing kind of stuff. You have Jesus right here. Here, let me show you. Now, see that one right there? That's referring to me. And, 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 this, and that one's referring to me, too. That had to be crazy. All of that to show that it's possible to actually go into the Old Testament to look at these particular verses to have a grounding and a sense of what God is saying so that when the Christ appears, no wonder Paul was able to put that together. He actually says this. If you look in chapter 26 of Acts, I'm cheating for somebody, whoever's going to teach this, I don't know. But this is what he said. Now here in this context, Saul is standing now, he's called Paul, and he's standing before King Agrippa. By the way, remember we've already looked at a verse here early on in the chapter when the Lord said, and I will show him the things he's going to have to suffer for me and he's going to have to be a witness for me to the Gentiles and to kings and to the nation of Israel, right? You remember that? Well here it is, Acts 26, and to Agrippa, and he says this is this is Paul explaining what had gone on. And okay, Agrippa, you know, you know us. You know us as a nation. You understand these things. So I'm glad to tell you these things because you're going to get it. And he says, therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great. Do you see that word witnessing? Do you catch that? That's what the Lord told us to do. You shall be my witnesses. You're explaining what you've seen. So he says, this is what I've been doing. I've been witnessing to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. He's he's referring back to that. He's saying, hey, this was predicted. This was talked about. And this is what he says. Verse 23. That the Christ would suffer. That he would be the first to rise from the dead. And would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. This is what Paul is summarizing, and he's saying, hey, I, I'm, this is all I'm telling. This is all the things that I'm talking about here, that the Christ would suffer. To the Jewish mind, that meant a shift. That meant a change of thinking. Are you kidding me? What? I've never seen that. Show me those verses, right? Hopefully they were good Bereans, went back into the word of God and said, oh yeah, that's what Isaiah's talking about there. Never made sense to me before. I was kind of like that Ethiopian. I didn't know either, but duh, right? It fits. I begin to see some of that. The point is, is that Paul is using scripture to prove out. And it's not approving in the sense of an argument. It's approving in the sense of, let me show you something so that you can have understanding, so that you can sink your teeth into this, so you can count on this. Because remember, Paul has, as Saul, has rejected this previously. Now he comes to this place. There is a need, I believe, in our lives to be anchored in the Scriptures, and most specifically for our salvation to be anchored in the scriptures. Have you ever, um, have you ever wrestled with the question like, what if this isn't true? you ever entertained that now don't don't look at each other and nod your head or anything okay just because we get judgmental over that kind of stuff right and so because we get judgmental then we tend to go into our little mental mental monasteries and like we think about this stuff in our heads but we're never we're never going to say it right because they're well maybe you aren't saved after all right like so we don't want to say that kind of stuff and we also because of that and we think oh that's so terrible so we got to stuff that down i want you to know that paul cared enough that we could wrestle with that question, that he actually addresses it in the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, as he's writing this letter, he's telling them, he's saying, guys, there's false teachers who are speaking something that's not true. But I want to tell you something here. I want to present the gospel to you, and I want you to know something. I want you to know that this comes from God. And you can have a confidence. You can settle down on this. I'll show you here just real quickly a little bit of a timeline. There it is. <clears throat> As we look at the book of Acts, we, in chapter 9, that's Paul's conversion, for verse 1, right? That's, when, that's what we see there happening in those first couple verses. And then you'll notice the next little dot. It says Arabia and Damascus. If you're looking into the book of Galatians, in chapter 1, Paul actually gives a bit of a chronology. He, he explains this right here. He's saying in there, okay guys, this is what happened. When I went to Damascus and I saw the Lord there, from there I went to Arabia and then I went back to Damascus. And then after three years I went to Jerusalem. So we don't know exactly like how that three years was all split up, but we know that from the first top dot to the second top dot, that's about a three-year process is what that is. And the reason that Paul is declaring this is because he is building a case to say, listen, the things that I'm telling you are from God. They're not man-made. I didn't go, I didn't get saved and then go to Jerusalem and have a conversation with the boys there and they're like, okay, here's the party line, right? Democrat or Republican. Here's the party line. This is what you gotta say. And so these are the talking points and like, and you know what I'm talking about? You see the news and then here's this word and that guy uses that word and that guy uses that word. That lady uses that word. That one uses that word. And it's, oh, you, they've all got the script. That's not what happened. That's not what he's, he's, he's actually taking pains to prove that this came from God. Phil read this in 1 Corinthians 15, when, the Lord, when Paul says, that which I have received of the Lord, I declare to you. So he's telling us that you can count on this. He goes on with this, just so you know, the, the chronology. You watch this as we go through this book. You'll see this, that, that he goes back to Jerusalem there, right? After having been at Damascus the second time, we're going to see this, I think this is happening between verses 22 and 23 of our chapter 9 here. He's going to go back there, he's going to spend a short amount of time, and then he's going to leave Jerusalem again. And he's going to go into the Syria, Cilicia, that's where Tarsus, his town, this will come up before we finish today. And then from there, a guy named Barnabas is going to come, and he's going to get him, and he's going to bring him back to Antioch. And those guys are going to be teaching for a year in Antioch. And sometime during all of that, they're going to find out that, hey, those, those believers of ours in, in Jerusalem, they're going to go through some hard times. Let's collect some money. Let's send that to him. And he and Barnabas are going to go back to Jerusalem, and they're, and they're, going, to, they're going to give that money. And somewhere after that one, and between the third visit, we have Paul's first missionary journey. We're going to see that as we go through this book of Acts. So keep these things in mind, right? But for the third time then, Paul is going to go back to Jerusalem, and and guess how long that is from his conversion? 14 years. He's going to declare that in the book of Galatians. He's going to state that. We're not guessing at this. All of that is intended to prove to us that he did not receive this from man and make it up, but rather that he received it from the Lord. And so we have this, this gap between chapter, or in chapter 9 of Acts, between verse 22 and 23. It's probably where it fits in best, because it tells us that he's now in Damascus again. <clears throat> now before I move into that, I want to tell you this. You're going to have to wrestle with that at some some level. You're going to have to. You see, the, the Word of God tells us that you and I were born as sinners. It tells us that that was true about us from the moment that we were born. And then it tells us that we continue to sin in life. You've probably already sinned today. Maybe you're not even aware of that. I don't know. Maybe you are aware of that. Maybe the the smile that you have on your face when you came here is really just for everybody to see because it's not really going on in your heart. (laughs) I've come to church so many times like, hey, how you doing? My wife and I have just been fighting, but you don't need to know that, do you? So I'm going to smile, right? And literally, I've come to the Lord's Supper going, oh, my word, there's a warning that's given, oh, Lord. (laughs) Sorry, I agree with you. That was sin. And uh, now, now don't kill me when I take this. Because if I don't take this, then everybody will know that I didn't take it. And they'll kind of wonder about me. So I'm more worried about what people think than you. So God, I'm going to agree with you that that's sin. And like, let's call it good, okay? And I'll apologize to my wife when we get home. But are we okay? Or Can I take this? Or, oh my word, is my throat going to tighten up? Or what's going to happen, right? Not remembering him. All thinking of myself in that. We're going to have to wrestle with these things. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little story. I had told them last night, so I have to tell you too. Yesterday morning, I, I woke up and uh, early, my mind was already running on this. And so I wasn't going back to sleep. I was already thinking about this message and everything. And, and uh, so as my practice is, I get up and I go take a shower. And I have a, I have a propensity to take long showers. Water tends to run out because I sit there and think. And I'm mulling this, and I'm telling you what, it's just thrilling my heart. And you know what passed through my mind? Oh, Lord, I, let's just call the church together right now. And let's just, like, I'm ready to go. If they're ready to go, let's just do this. In fact, I wish they were here right now in this shower with me. I know. I thought you'd do that. It's a little creepy, isn't it? Do you know why it's a little creepy? Because you're sinners. It's creepy to me, too, because I'm a sinner. When I thought that, I was like, oh, oh Lord, I don't know if I should be thinking this, right? Like, whoa, this is getting a little uncomfortable. Why? Do you remember in the garden, back in Genesis, do you remember that Adam and Eve were created by God and it says that they were naked and they were not ashamed? Do you remember that? But then as soon as they sinned, do you remember what happened? They took fig leaves and sewed them together in order to clothe themselves because they saw that they were naked and they were embarrassed about that. So me bringing up that subject, which is a little awkward for us, but it's just to make a point. You know why you pinched on that one? Because you're a sinner. That's why. It's one of the many proofs to you. If you ever wonder about that, well, just think of that one. And then all you have to do is remember the argument that you got in with your spouse coming here, or whatever has been going on in your life. For God to show to us you're a sinner. And he tells us that the wages of sin is death. The the just result of my sin, and it doesn't matter whether I commit them or the fact that I was born in sin. I was born in Adam. Guess what that means for me? Death. But John 3:16 tells me that God so loved the world. I'm part of that. You're part of that, right? He so loved us that he gave his only begotten son who willingly went to Calvary, who willingly died for us. And this is the very one who shows up for Saul and says, you're kicking against me. That's what you're doing. And Saul sees the light. Unbelievable. The people that we're wanting to build bridges with need to know that. They can't just go, oh, well, listen, let me tell you this story, and then you, can, you, you put your trust in that. Give them some evidence. Prove it to them. Not in an arm wrestling like, hey, you got your theory and I got mine, and come on, let's go after this. No, but but gently and carefully and meekly take them into the word. And let the word do what it's supposed to do. Let it convict their hearts. And if you gotta tell them the story about nakedness, do that so that they, whatever it takes for them to understand, you know what, you're right, I got a problem with sin, don't I? (gasps) What am I gonna do? The gospel becomes good news only when bad news precedes it, right? Only when I understand how desperate I am because I could not save myself. And so God sent his son to do that. Paul wanted you to know that, and so in Galatians, he lays it all out for you. This is the timeline so that you'll have continued confidence in what God says about this, because he's the one that we have to answer to. And when the day comes when we stand before him, we're able to say, Lord, it's because of what your son did, and I place all of my confidence in that. I used to place my confidence in what I did. I used to place my confidence in how I looked. I used to place my confidence in my money, in all kinds of things, Lord, but I've realized that that doesn't count. It's only what your son did. And so I transferred that confidence to him. And I'm standing here before you today because I believe that what he did paid for my sin. There was no other way, and I'm counting on that. And if I'm wrong, I'm doomed to hell. But your word declares that that's what you believe. That's what you've stated, and therefore that's what I believe. And I'm going to rest my eternal destination on that. you got to wrestle with that, people. And you got to help people to wrestle with that. That's why we're left here, to be ambassadors, of reconciliation, drawing people back to Christ, right? That's a privilege that we've got. Okay, our time's running. Let's pick this back up here. Verse 23 of chapter 9. You ready? You back on track with me? So, so don't, don't stone me here if you disagree, but, but it, it, it seems like there's a gap of three years right here. And so it says, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So he's back in Damascus here, and the Jews are hearing some of this stuff, and they're not able to to arm wrestle him down, right? They're not able to convict him and convince him, and he's doing more of that to them. So they decide, we're going to get rid of this boy. We're going to kill him. It's amazing to me how many times this is their solution. Kill him. (laughs) We're going to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. That's how he got away from there. You remember that in, in their time, the towns would have been surrounded by, uh, by a wall, right, for protection. And they would have gates, and only so many gates on this wall to, to be able to leave town, to come and go. So they were able to just, hey, let's send some guys to that gate, that gate, that gate, that gate. It's not like Winchester where you can just go wherever you want to go. And when we see him coming out, you boys, you see him, you get him, Right? Well, we're not going to deal with this. We're, we're, we're slipping them out the wall. We're going, to, we're going to put them down through the outside of the wall and let them go. And he heads for Jerusalem. Verse 26, Saul come to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples. You remember in Damascus, he's, he's, he's linked up with them. But now he gets to Jerusalem and he's wanting to link up with those people and they'll have nothing to do with that. No surprise. Three years ago, this guy left here, Jerusalem like still breathing heavy, still after these people who believe in the way, and now he's come back and we're hearing some of this kind of stuff and he's claiming that he's one of us. Are you kidding me? I don't think so. We need a little bit more proof, right? We need to know this for sure here. We're not going to move on this. It says they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But then Barnabas shows up again. Don't you love this guy? You remember this guy? This is the guy who had a field that he sold and he gave the proceeds of that sale to the apostles to use as they felt was necessary. Do you remember that? And then Ananias are the ones that they saw. Hey, hey, that's pretty good, right? And so they tried to do, you remember that story? This is the guy, Barnabas. Do you remember his name? Barnabas means son of encouragement and oh, is he going to live up to his name? This guy is going to show us one of the very essences of discipleship. A heart of encouragement. And oh to God that we would be sons of encouragement too. Look what he does. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. That terminology gives us the sense that, that what Barnabas did is he decided, okay, I'm going to take a risk. I, I'm going I'm I'm to get to know this guy and I'm going to hear his story. And he did that. That was pretty risky. Because remember that that what these guys are thinking is is that, well, this guy has letters from the chief priest. He has the authority to get a hold of us, throw us into prison, and to even have us killed. So there's a a tremendous risk that that Barnabas is taking. But because he has a a, a heart of encouragement, he decides, I'm going to do it. And so it says there, he took him, like he, he, he brought him aside. Okay, if this is true, tell me about that. And then he was so convinced, it says, that he brought him to the apostles. And he, Barnabas, declared to them how he, Saul, had seen the Lord on the road, and that he, Christ, had spoken to him, and how he, Saul, had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. He rehearsed it. He laid it out for them. He helped them to understand that. And so guess what happens as a result of that? So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. There's a link that's going on, right? There's a connection. Why? Because there is someone called a Barnabas who has an encouragement heart and who wants to link up truth together so that that impacts a life. That's called discipleship. And you're capable of doing that just like a Barnabas is capable of doing that. You're capable of doing that with one another. You're capable of doing that with unbelievers. Linking them up with the truth. You don't have to sit under the feet of Gamaliel and get all of that kind of training to do that. You don't have to be going, uh, don't hear me wrong, I think it'd be wonderful for you to attend some of our BETC classes. But you know what? You have the Spirit of God within you and you have a testimony. God. Has brought you to a place where you have understood that what Jesus Christ did was full payment for your sin and it satisfied the heart of Almighty God. And if you'll put your trust in that, you also will be satisfied. There's no more to be done. You now are a believer and all that is His is yours. How incredible is that? And that's all you got to tell them. This is your story. That's what testimony is. That's what witnessing is. It's telling your story, it's describing. You have the opportunity to do that with your neighbors, you have that opportunity with your coworkers. you have that opportunity with your family, to be able to share those things. God has made it possible by giving us His spirit to do those things, right? It says, then, finishing up here with this, it says in verse 29, "And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. There it is again, Isn't this crazy? Okay, you got to catch this. This is unbelievable. Do you remember when we read about the story of Stephen? Do you remember where he was at? Do you remember it was talking about the synagogues that he was teaching in and the people that he was teaching to? Some of them were Hellenists. Do you remember what Hellenists are? Hellenists are Jewish people who, by, by race, but, have, but are living more like a Greek. They've maybe taken on a Greek name. They may be speaking the Greek language. Like, like they have become part of that. And that's what he's describing here. So they're Jews. They, they know the Old Testament, at least as a Jew, would be trained growing up, right? But they're now functioning in a, in a different culture. And that's where Stephen was engaging. And those guys got so upset at him that they had him killed. And Saul was right there alongside going, yeah, give me your jackets while you throw the rocks, and 3 or 4 years later the lord brings him back in full circle and now he's doing the very thing speaking the same message that stephen was stoned for and now they want to kill him too is that ironic or what only thing is is that god's got a different plan for paul or saul than he did for stephen stephen became the first martyr saul's about ready to become another one too in fact in Acts 22, he tells us that he was willing to actually stay here and die. And the Lord said to him in a vision in the temple, I want you out of here. I want you to leave because they're going to try to kill you. And I got things for you. Remember, he's already told him this. You're, you're going to suffer for me, but you're going to be a witness for me to, to Jews, to Gentiles, to kings. This is what you're going to do. So you, you got to leave town. Well, he disputes with them And they want to kill him. And verse 30, then the brethren found out, and they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Tarsus was the town that he grew up in, the town that he was born in. At first you might think, hey, this is good, right? He's headed out. He's going to home. I love going home. I grew up in a little town called Jersey Shore. It's on the banks of the Susquehanna River, and it's on the Jersey side of it, and that's why it was called Jersey Shore, so I'm told. They got the best cheesesteak hoagies in the world there, right? I think I've told you before, they're going to be at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. So if you want a pre-taste of that, go to Jersey Shore, go get yourself a cheesesteak, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, hog heaven right here, right? I love going home. But you know what? Sometimes we go home, and home isn't always what it's cracked up to be. I remember the first time I left home and then came back and how disappointed I was everything had changed my friends had gone some of the things that I was used to I, t- I tried going back to the football games but it just wasn't the same you know like that kind of stuff Paul is arriving back in Tarsus in Philippians I think it's in chapter 3 he tells us I counted all things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ do you know that when a Jewish person to this very day in fact In a practicing Jewish home, if a Jewish person becomes a believer, the parents disown. Are you aware of that? They say, you're dead to me. It's as if you never lived. I turn my back on you. You are no longer my child. I reject you. He went home, and to our knowledge... The last time he had been home, he was an unbeliever. Now he's going home as a believer. And you know what he says in Philippians? I counted all things as lost to me. I gave it up. You read through his pedigree. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews is what he says there, right? Meaning I was raised in a home. We didn't become Hellenistic. We stuck to our Jewish roots. That's why I can be called a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? And he lays out all of these different things. And he says, all of those were counted as lost to me except for for Christ. So it's possible that he faced this too. Some of you know what that's like to go home and to be rejected because you now are a believer. You you understand a little bit more of that, right? Well, he finishes up then in verse 31. It says, Then the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Two things here. One, notice that this is in the singular. Your Bibles might actually have it in the plural. But in the original, it's in the singular. Why? Because God is looking at this entire region and calling them one. There's a a local group of believers here and here and here and here and here and here. here, But he sees them all as one. And so he says the church, the entirety of it throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, all of these areas that he's already told us that, that... They would be witnesses. They all had peace and were edified. No surprise there, because the persecutor (laughs) is no longer the persecutor, right? The, 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 The duke, do you remember that from last week? The duke in our lives is now no longer duke. The Saul in our lives is no longer Saul. He's seen the Lord, and something has changed. And so guess what? At one time, this church was being persecuted, when it says with Stephen that as, as a result of that martyrdom right there, that the people were scattered, right, from that persecution. And Saul steps in the gap, and he does even more of that. Persecution. There are times in our lives when that will be true about us, and then there's times when there's peace and edification. I think that for me anyways, I have lived mostly in peace and edification, but I think the times are about to change. If that's true, because we have confidence in God, because we look at this story and we see what he has been doing throughout history, we can recognize and, and, and be confident in, okay, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be in peace. It's wonderful for us to be edified. But sometimes you bring in persecution as well. And there's a cause, there's a reason for that. And we can trust you without ever having to have the timeline stamped out there in front of us so that we can see it and decide for ourselves whether that's right or not, right? That's what Ananias was trying to do. I'll decide for myself. No, 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 no. You'll go to him. Okay, yes, sir, I will. (laughs) I love that heart. That's what we want to have, right? Okay, yes, sir, we'll do that. I got to leave you with two things here. Notice this. As far as this church is concerned, it says, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. There's two things that come out of this. The first one there is that phrase walking in the fear of the Lord. That word walk is meaning like this is a practice or a habit of life. This is the way that they live their life. So as this church now, all remember this is singular, so it's talking about all y'all kind of stuff, right? They're all walking in the fear of the Lord. If you study out that phrase, you will find it in Psalms, you'll find it in Proverbs, you'll find it in Ephesians. You'll you'll find it scattered throughout the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it will tell you things like that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. It'll tell you that life is found in the fear of the Lord. That there's a reverential, uh, healthy understanding of who God is being described as the fear of the Lord. An understanding of him that has an impact. It impacted the way that they lived their lives. That's what it's saying. As they walked in this, the more we get to know him, the more we're going to be walking in the fear of the Lord. And guess what that did? It created multiplication. It impacted people. As they see that in your life, you don't have to have the biggest trumpet in the world. You get a chance to walk in the Spirit, and guess what He's going to do? Live out the life of Christ through your mortal body as you yield to Him. And that becomes a trumpet people are multiplied. It's not just that. It's also in walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort. The walking would apply to both. Walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now we read this word comfort and we think of like coming alongside, oh listen things are rough here and that's partly true. But it's not just comfort. Another version might use the word exhortation meaning that he's talking about the Spirit of God encouraging our hearts, exhorting our hearts, comforting our hearts, caring for us. As we learn what he does, how he does it. In fact, his name, one of the names that's given to him is that he's the spirit of comfort. He's a paraclete. He's called alongside to help, is what the scripture says. And the more we understand that, the more we're going to then be walking in the spirit. Those who are children of God are led by the spirit, Romans says to us, right? The more we walk in the spirit, guess what happens again? The life of Christ is being displayed in our mortal bodies. So can you see why they were multiplied? Because these people were having a proper and right understanding of God, and they were properly aligning themselves with the work of the Spirit of God in their life. No wonder people were being impacted by that. And it's as simple as that, people. That's true for, that can be true for you and I. As we get to know Him, that I might know Him, Paul says and the fellowship of his suffering, and the power of his resurrection. Do you know that that's talking about you being able to say no to sin? You can say no to sin even though you're born as a sinner. Why? Because of the power of the resurrection. The more you grow in those things, the more you grow in your understanding of him. And again, it's not just intellectual knowledge, but it's that beginning to impact the way that we live our lives. Guess what that does? It has an impact on the people around us. We have the wonderful opportunity to fear the Lord and to walk in the comfort of the Spirit and trust Him to use us to build the bridges and believe that what He is doing in the life of a Saul, He can do in the life of my family member or my neighbor who puts up a sign that says, do not trespass. I don't want you coming around here at all. And to use God To begin to break a heart down so it becomes more and more receptive to that point when he says, Hey, I'm Jesus. Are you seeing me? Isn't it amazing that he lets us partner together with him in that? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is so rich. We just have dissected a few verses here, and out of those verses we were able to paint a colorful picture of what life was like for them. And again, Father, it's not just so that we have this wonderful historical narrative, but it's to tell us who you are. This is what you're doing. Oh, God, that last chapter hasn't been written yet, but it's being written in our lives. I pray for us here. I think we're all on that same page, Father, of wanting for you to use us. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're kind of like Ananias. Father, would you do a work so that we might become more like Barnabas? A yes face, a willingness to step forward and reach into the lives of other people. We know that that's difficult for us at times, Father, but we know that you can give us all the strength that we need. You've provided everything, so help us to be people of your word who dig into it, not from an academic perspective, but because we want to see you. And in seeing you were blown away, look at how you've done it, Father. So thank you so much for giving us this wonderful privilege. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.